0: I mean, we got to record it, right? So for those of you who just joined the recording, Andy's not here tonight. So if the quality is lackluster, that's why. Anyway, <laughs> are you guys ready to go? All right, well, let's get our Bibles out. We are continuing um, in our Bible study on love, relationships, and sex, right? Did I say, I didn't say sex a whole lot last week, but uh, well, I did it in the introduction to be awkward Tonight, again, we're not going to really be talking about sex. We're going to talk about hashtag relationship goals. So we're going to see that from the scripture tonight. But if you're just dying to hear your youth pastor say the word sex a lot and talk about it, that'll be next week. So there you go. Make sure you're here. If there's like three people here next week, I'm going to be ticked at you guys. So make sure that you come back next week. Um, Parents, if you're listening, the next two weeks are going to be about sex and purity. But tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about relationship goals. Last week, we introduced our series by looking at what love is defined as, biblically speaking, um, and how that is so different and even contrary to what the world defines love as. Um, Hollywood and media, we saw his redefined love, and according to the world, love isn't a choice. Love is just this mystical you know, force that, that leads you to, to some soulmate that you have no control over. Um, you can take it as far as you want to, um, you know, as far as, you know, different, uh, you know, different, I'm, I'm trying to not like be ever political at all, but, but, you know, different uh, groups of people saying that, um, that, that, you know, you don't choose who you love, you're born this way or you're born that way. But when we track in the Bible, what love truly is, it's, it's all about a choice, God, we love others because God loves us, and so we ought also to love one another. God chose to love us when we were in our sins and enemies of God, and He chose to send His Son to die for us, and His Son chose to get on the cross and die for us because He chose to love us. And all throughout the Scripture, love is a choice, and even the love between men and women in the Scripture is a choice, and we're going to see that even more so tonight, but we're going to see... In a specific Bible story, if you want to go there, we're going to be in Genesis 24 all night tonight. Um, I'll hit a few other cross-references that will be on the screen, but man, if you just hang out and camp out in Genesis 24 in your Bible, you'll be good to go. It's, it's a long chapter, and we're going to do the whole story tonight, um, but but it's really important story, so we'll, we'll jump around uh, within the verses. It's, it's, it's a, a very good story. And it has a lot to teach us about biblical love and, and the relationship between a man and a woman um, and, and a man and a woman who get married as well. So just for fun, I, I decided to Google relationship goals because that seems to be a popular hashtag always, especially like on Instagram or something, which is it's so shallow though most of the time it'll be a picture of like this like shredded dude without a shirt on holding a girl you know what I mean like you know obviously sensually and she's like he's holding her and they're kissing and it says hashtag relationship goals and I'm like what that that's relationship goals like you don't even have to know somebody to do that I, I mean it it that that might be like you know illegal to do. I don't know, but I'm just saying that's certainly not relationship material, and I, I don't know that I've been strong enough to do that uh, with my wife in several years, so that's certainly not relationship goals. I can still pick her up. I, I know I'm strong enough. It has nothing to do with you. It's, it's my, <laughs> my physical stature not having the ability to lift anything anymore. Anyway, let's just move on. Relationship goals relationship goals can be different depending on who's talking about them. So I Googled it. Sad thing is, like I said, I mean, half of them were sexual. But, and most of the ones that weren't sexual were just goofy things, like people texting and flirting. And it was just like, is this like the the depths of the internet's understanding of what love and relationships are. And then I did find a list, you know, because BuzzFeed listicles and all of those are super popular. So I did find a list of relationship goals. And here's some of my favorite that, that are like close to being okay. Um, number one, to be actually happy together. Wow, blows my mind. Be happy together. Number two, to do something new once a month. Okay, okay. Uh, three, keep remembering what you love about each other. Well, that, that is very good, especially if you don't like each other at some point. Number four, have regular date nights. Five, find a way to give back. It's that, a really ambiguous one. I included it because I don't know who they're talking about. There's Find a way to give back to whom? Like your alma mater? The city that you grew up in, the significant other, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't say. Number six, show appreciation for each other. That's a good goal. Now, and the last one, number seven, support each other. That—that That is, man, the best that I could find the, the secular internet world has to offer and, and you know what, those are fine, like, they're not bad, but the problem is that none of those will help you to have a godly, let, take out godly, a lasting, fulfilling relationship with somebody. I'm telling you guys, the, the internet does not, and the internet, the world does not have good advice for you when it comes to relationships, they, they just don't. So stop looking f- to them for it, and let's look at God's word. Of course, that's what we do here at Ignite, and so it doesn't surprise you, but you You'd be surprised if how many times we as Christians, we look at the Bible for advice, but then little practical things like relationships and love, we just subconsciously are looking at what the world has to say about those things. And we get bad answers and we don't understand why relationships aren't working out for us or why we don't feel fulfilled. Well, it's because you're looking at the wrong source To understand love and relationships. So tonight, like I said, we're going to look at a specific story in Genesis chapter 24 to glean some biblical relationship goals. And what you need to understand before we get started, a little bit of a a prerequisite here. you got to understand that dating is not in the Bible. Dating is is a cultural practice. There are still cultures in the world today that that, uh, practice arranged marriages and that's the norm. Uh, in our culture, dating is the acceptable practice. In the Bible, it wasn't, or or at least it wasn't mentioned in the Bible. I'll, I'll at least say that. Most marriages were arranged by elders of the family. The children trusted their parents to find their spouse because that's what happened for generations in their families. And listen, I, I don't want you to think like my youth pastors advocating for arranged marriages no, I'm I'm not. Now, I don't know, maybe if I have a girl and someday she's a teenager, maybe I will advocate for arranged marriages. But as of right now, I'm not advocating for arranged marriages. I'm just you just need to understand that God doesn't speak of dating in the Bible the way you understand it, because that's a cultural practice and, and specifically in our culture today, but wasn't in the culture of the Bible back then. So you just got to understand that. That doesn't mean that dating is inherently wrong either. I'll just put that out there because there might be uh, people, or maybe you would assume that churches would just automatically condemn dating. I don't. I don't think the Bible does. But the Bible does have a lot to say about relationships and, and boundaries and goals. And so I think we need to take those biblical principles, learn to apply those to our lives, And then we can have healthy dating relationships that will lead us to finding a godly spouse one day. Okay, so that's really the goal for this entire series. But specifically tonight, let's take a look at some biblical relationship goals. So Genesis 24, we're going to break this down tonight. And if you don't know this, I'm going to tell you something about Bible study. The Bible, every scripture, every verse has three applications. There's a historical application because the Bible is a book of history. All of the things in the Bible actually happened to some person at some point in history, or is somebody writing a letter to someone in history? So the overarching and predominant application of Scripture is history. And so the first thing we're going to do tonight is just look at what happened and just read the story and understand what happened. The the second application, other than historical, is doctrinal, or what's the teaching? What does this teach? What does it point to prophetically? What is this uh, picture, um, or what, what teaching does this passage have? You can find that in every scripture, and then there's also a devotional, or a personal or a spiritual application. What does this mean to me today? Of, you know so you can look at any scripture and be like, like,, let's just take like Genesis one, for example. Genesis one is the creation story. It, it actually happened, if you believe the Bible. It's, it's happened in history. What, what is it prophetically, doctrinally teaching? Well, I can show you how it's doctrinally teaching about how old the earth is, and it's pointing to a seventh-day millennial kingdom of Christ yet future. Really cool, deep doctrinal study. But it also has uh, inspirational meaning to you today because God made man in His image. He made man in three parts, and you were made in the image of God before sin. So every single portion of Scripture <laughs> can be broken down into a historical application, a doctrinal, and a personal. So if you understand that as we get into this tonight, you're going to see my three points are very simple. The historical, doctrinal, and personal applications of the scripture. And the only, I don't typically do that, but this is the way to understand this. And if we get the historical and the doctrinal teaching the practical side is just going to make absolute sense to you guys, I promise. So you got to hang with me, because two-thirds of it are going to be the, the historical and the doctrinal. And then the last third of the message is going to be, what are the relationship goals I can glean for myself in 2019? Okay? So let's do this. Let's, let's go ahead and read the first couple of verses in Genesis chapter 24. We'll see, number one, the historical story. The historical story. What happened in history? This is going to be about Abraham and his son, Isaac. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, Put I, pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites." among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So in this story, Abraham is coming to the end of his life, old father Abraham, right? He's coming to the end of his life and he gets uh, his, the, his eldest or his uh, most important servant who rules, uh, Abraham is a very wealthy man. And so he has a man that he pays that rules over all of his house and all of his uh, servants and all of his uh, cattle and all of those things. And he calls this servant to him. And he says, listen, I'm going to die, and I need you to make sure that my son gets a good wife. And here are the stipulations. You can't take a wife out of the Canaanites where we're living. It has to be from my people. This was important. Isaac needed a wife. If you guys remember this or if you're not familiar with this, Isaac, the son of Abraham, uh, is the child of promise. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 15, we're not going to go there. God tells Abraham that I'm going to give you seed that numbers the stars of heaven, that exceeds the number of the, the sand on the earth. That would become the nation of Israel. And, and Abraham and Sarah didn't have a baby until their old age. And eventually they did. His name was Isaac. He was the child of promise. So through Isaac was going to be this innumerable seed that was going to be the blessing and the promise of God to Abraham. Well, Isaac can't fulfill that promise if he doesn't have a wife, right? He needs a wife so that they can get started making babies. Sex is next week. We'll get there. But anyway, he he tells his servant that Isaac needs a wife and the stipulation is important. He has to go to Abraham's people. He didn't want a wife of the Canaanites for Isaac. He needed to go back home into Abraham's country and find a bride for Isaac. Why didn't Abraham want a Canaanite wife for his son? Sounds racist. Okay, this is important, and we're going, to, we're going to break this down, because later when we get to the personal application, that's going to be important. Genesis chapter 10 and verse 19. The border of the Canaanites, is that up there? Yeah, it was from Sidon. As thou comest to Gerar unto Gaza, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah, and Adma and Zeboim, even unto Lash. So one of the important things to understand is that Canaan was near Sodom and Gomorrah. That's important. What you also need to understand is that Canaanites were pagan people. They didn't worship Jehovah God. Exodus chapter 34 tells us what God thinks about the pagan nations that don't worship the one true God of the Bible. It says in Exodus 34, For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods. Notice these are lowercase g, gods. And one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice and take thou of their daughters unto thy sons and their daughters go a whoring after their gods and make thy sons to go a whoring after their gods. See, here's what God told them all the way back in Exodus in the law. He's telling Israel as they're becoming a nation before they're even in the promised land, he's telling them, listen, don't take wives of the pagan countries around you. Do you know why? Because those pagan countries who Cause their little babies to pass through the fire as they worship and they sacrifice their own living children to, to statues made of stone. They were sick, evil people. He said, when you go and you marry their daughters and they go, the Bible says the word whoring after their small g false gods, what will happen is they will turn your hearts away from your God to their false gods. That was the whole point. God's not racist. He's saying, listen, when you go to these pagan nations and you take one of their daughters as your wife, you will love that woman and you and your heart will be turned from your God to their false gods. And God hated that and he didn't want that to happen. And So that was the commission of Abraham's servant. Don't take a pagan wife for my son Isaac. Actually, if you go back to King Solomon... King Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, right? Yet his downfall at the end of his life when he stopped serving God, he had a thousand wives. A thousand wives and many of them were from pagan countries and they turned, the Bible says, they turned his heart away from the one true God. That isn't a sermon about why women are bad. It's a sermon about why spouses who don't worship the one true God will turn your heart away from them. Okay, let's keep going. If we skip down in Genesis 24 to verse 12, the, the servant agrees. He says, okay, let's do this. He goes back to Abraham's country. Verse 12, servant's going to ask God for some help. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well, this well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also, let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. So the servant says, God help me out. I'm at this well. Let's make a deal. How about the girl that comes to the well and I say, hey, would, would, she's coming to the well to get water. If I ask her, will you get water for me? And she says, yeah, I'll do that. Let me get more so that I can give it to your camels too. Let that be the girl. Let that be the sign that this is the girl that you want for Isaac. Well, God obliges actually. And in Genesis 24 verse 15, it says, it came to pass before he had done speaking. So almost immediately that behold, Rebecca came out who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, so this would be of Abraham's people, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. You know what that means? She's a babe. So this is good. This is good for Isaac. A virgin, neither had any man known her. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. She said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I'll draw water for the camels also. Ding, ding, ding. That's, she's the winner. Until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. So he finds the girl. He finds the girl. It's like, oh, well, that, was, that was easy. Thanks, God. I'm glad I asked you for help to find the girl. Put that in your back pocket. We'll get there. Okay, so he finds this girl, and then what he's going to do is go home to her parents to meet them and tell them what God has done and get their consent, okay? You skip all the way down to verse 50, okay? Because we're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a long chapter. We're going to get the gist of it. Verse 50, Genesis 24. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord, we cannot speak unto thee, bad or good. So he's telling her parents, hey, this is... What God has said, this is what God has done. And Abraham is looking for a wife for his son, Isaac. I said this thing to God. God provided your daughter. What do you think? And they said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. Okay, so the parents are like, okay, obviously this is from the Lord. That's fine. But then he's going to get Rebekah's consent. This, notice, this arranged marriage isn't nearly as awful as what you might see on TV or think of when you think arranged marriage. Rebecca has a choice in the matter, because love is a choice, even in an arranged marriage. Skip down to verse 58. They called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? Will you go marry this man? We think it's from the Lord, what do you think? She says, I will go. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. So she goes with him. She says, yes, I'll marry him. Let's go. This is obviously from the Lord. Genesis 24, go down to verse 61. And Rebecca arose, and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the man. The man is the servant of Abraham. And the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now, girls, just think about this for a moment. I know it's not the notebook, or I don't know, what... That's an old movie. What's what's like the is there is there a big romance movie right now? Kissing booth. What? Kissing Booth? Kissing booth? Popular, like, okay. I, I, well I've not seen it, so I, I know there's like one with Lady Goo, Goo Gaga, um, but whatever. Pick your favorite chick flick, whatever. Just imagine this as a as a movie, okay? And and. Rebecca has agreed to marry this prince, if you will, in a faraway country. She is so excited and honored that this king, this prince, wants to marry her. And she goes with the servant the entire way back on these camels. What do you think she's doing? She's talking to the servant. She's asking him, what's he like? She's asking him, is, is he kind? Is he, is he handsome? What is he like? What is he not like? What's his favorite Netflix show to binge watch? Do you think he minds having a Pinterest wedding with a lot of mason jars? Like, what's, what's he like? So this whole journey, she's getting to know more about her groom-to-be by talking to the servant. Then the time comes when she meets Isaac, and in verse 64, it says, Rebecca lifted up her eyes when they got there, obviously. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Can you imagine how fast she jumped off the camel for the scripture to describe it as she lighted off the camel? She's, she's like, she sees him and she's like, oh, that's my man. And then she gets down. That's Bay. Do people still say Bay? I don't know. Verse 67. Then we see the marriage. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So do you guys see, what I want you to see here as we wrap up the, just the story of what happened, there, this is just more proof that love is a choice. Neither of these two had met, but they were both certain that God had brought them together. They were both following the Lord. They both worshiped Jehovah God, and they were certain that God was bringing them together. Man, it is a whole lot easier to love somebody when you wholeheartedly believe that God has brought you together. Now, this is a really cool story, but I'm going to tell you what, it's even more amazing when you see the doctrinal pictures behind it. And we won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see the pictures behind this story for today. And and I'm going to give you these blanks here very quickly so that you, then I can tell you why Abraham is a picture of God the Father. Father Abraham is a picture of God the Father. Isaac, the son of Abraham, is a picture of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That follows, right? That makes sense. Oh, they're not all on the same slide. My bad. Okay, I'll go slow. Abraham, God the Father. Isaac, picture of Jesus Christ. The servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. And Rebecca is a picture of the church. So in order, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And the church, those are the pictures. As you guys know, the church in the Bible is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is a picture of the bride, or the church is the bride of Christ, excuse me. Rebecca is a picture of the church. So what we see in picture, let me me describe this for you. In the first couple of verses of Genesis 24, we see God the Father, Abraham, sending the Holy Ghost his servant, out to find a bride, Rebecca, for his son, Isaac. The Holy Spirit is being sent out by God the Father to find a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we see pictured by this story. The Holy Spirit is constantly searching the world for those that would be saved. So Christian, check this out. In this story, if you're a Christian and you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you are Rebecca. If you're saved, what happened was the Holy Spirit came to you and asked you, will you marry the Lamb of God? And you said yes, but you aren't married yet. You aren't married yet because you're not with them. You're in verse 61 that says, Rebecca arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebecca and went his way. You're on the journey. When you got saved, what happened? The Holy Spirit moved into your life, didn't He? The Holy Spirit came to live inside your heart. And so you are on a journey, on camels, if you will, with the servant, with the Holy Spirit, waiting to meet your bride, your your groom, rather. We're the church, we're the bride of Christ, and we're waiting to meet God one day. We're waiting to meet our 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 bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And so on this journey, do you know what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be getting to know who Jesus is through the servant, through the Holy Spirit, as He speaks to us, and as we pray, and as we read our Bibles, and we learn more about who Jesus is, and we ask the Spirit, what's he like? What is he like? What is he not like? We can see that in the scripture. Is he kind? You know he's kind. What's he like? In our life, our journey in life, we get to know Jesus by walking with him daily. And the saddest thing in the world is that there are Christians who will be saved for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their life and they'll die or they'll get raptured and they'll meet Jesus Christ and they didn't spend one day getting to know him. And they're not even gonna know what he's like. And they're gonna meet him face to face and be like, you were saved for 50 years and you didn't grow a single step. You didn't ask the servant what he was like. You didn't read your Bible to know more about him. That's the point of this life and this journey. And then in, in verse 64, Rebecca lifts, notice, she lifts up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. You know what? Someday Jesus Christ is called the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Christ is going to come back in the clouds and we're going to look up and see him. And we're going to be lighted away. Just like Rebecca when she looked up and saw her husband. And after that happens, the church will be married to Jesus. Revelation 19 at the end of the book describes the marriage of the Lamb. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Isn't that amazing? You see that picture? If you just read that story and don't understand that the Bible has three applications, you just read this cool story about Abraham finding a wife for his son Isaac. But when you understand how the Bible fits together, you see the picture that God was laying out all the way back in Genesis 24 about how he was going to send the Holy Spirit in all throughout the world to find the bride for his son Christ. Isn't that awesome? So if you're saved today, Christian, that's what you have to look forward to. And if you're not, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you know what? The servant, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart tonight to see if you're willing to go with him. Are you willing to follow the Holy Spirit all of your life until you finally get to meet Jesus Christ as your groom? And if you're not, well, that's okay. You have a choice. God chose to love you. You have a choice to reciprocate. And you can choose not to, but I'm telling you, the the grace, the love that Christ extends today through what he did on the cross, it's only good in your lifetime now. Because once it's over, once the rapture happens, once our life ends, it's over. And we've decided to not only not accept Christ, but not accept his free gift of salvation. And we've chosen to pay for our judgment, our sin, ourself, in a place that's separated from God for eternity that was never designed for you. So just know a choice to reject Christ is a choice to reject eternal salvation, eternal life. And it's a choice to accept paying for your own sin in a place of torment forever. But you can be saved tonight. You can cry out. To the Holy Spirit. And you can live this life on a journey to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants. Number three, though. So now that we understand the story and we understand the doctrinal pictures, let's lay out the the relationship goals for me. What can I glean from this story today? Okay, it's a cool love story. Okay, there's some pretty cool doctrinal pictures. What does that have to do with me? This happened thousands of years ago. Okay, well, now that you understand the story, let's see Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. Abraham says to his servant, I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I, among whom I dwell. Excuse me. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So Abraham had a specific type of person in mind for his son Isaac. He didn't want a pagan woman that would turn Isaac's heart from the Lord. And we can learn a great lesson from this. Number, letter A: Don't date someone who doesn't know the Lord. And listen, I'm not setting up a legalistic standard. You can choose to not follow this advice. I promise you, I'm not going to do my homework and I'm not going to find out what you did last summer and ask you if you're dating someone who doesn't know the Lord. That's on you, man. Do it. I'm giving you relationship goals and advice from the Bible. Don't date someone who doesn't know the Lord. If you date someone who is not saved, I don't care how nice they are or how cute they are, when you do that, it will lead you down a road of temptation, and they will ultimately turn your heart from the Lord. I'm telling you, I've seen it a hundred times. I promise you. 2 Corinthians 6, let's get the New Testament balancing principle here. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Okay, I'm sure you've heard that verse. You might have even known that I was going to pull that verse. Good for you. It's the cliche youth pastor verse that says don't date lost people, right? But it's true. Look at the truth. Do you guys know what a yoke is? A, a yoke, I've got a picture of it. Yeah, there you go. A, a yoke, well, to be yoked means to be joined together. And so a yoke, what it did was it would join two oxen together so that they could work together to pull a plow or a wagon or whatever they were pulling. The yoke joined them together so that they could work together to accomplish a task, okay? So what this is saying is don't be joined together with a lost person, with unbelievers. Now, that doesn't just apply to dating, although it's a great application. It can apply to business dealings. It can apply to whatever you would be yoked together with an unbeliever for, because how can two walk together lest they be agreed? What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And so let me give you these pictures here. In the scripture, we don't have time to do the Bible study tonight, but we can see this in the scripture, that an ox or oxen, they picture someone... Oh, okay, so yeah, letter A, don't date someone who doesn't know the Lord. Uh, oxen pictures the believer who works in ministry. All throughout the scripture, when you see oxen, it's, it's a picture of someone who is saved, who's a Christian, who's a believer, who's working for the Lord, who's working in ministry. Also in, the, in, in scripture, a donkey is a picture of a lost man. And you can get that from Job 11. You can get that from many different places. A donkey is a picture of a lost man. And so let's get this. You have the picture of the saved man, the ox, a picture of the lost man, the donkey. If you were to yoke an ox and a donkey together, how much work do you think you're going to get done plowing a field? I know we don't really do a lot of farming today. I I know we kind of live in a rural community. I don't farm. Maybe you do. But I can only imagine... An ox and a donkey yoked together to pull a plow wouldn't accomplish much. Donkeys aren't known, well, they're known for being stubborn, right? (laughs) Because there's another biblical term for them that's characterized by being stubborn, right? Donkeys don't get work done. Oxen get down on their knees if they have to and go uphill to plow the field. And so when you yoke two things together that don't work together, guess what happens? They don't work together. They don't accomplish anything. And so God is giving you practical advice tonight, saying, listen, if you want something that works, don't yoke two things together that don't work together. They can't plow together. So Christian, if you're dating a lost person, what do you expect to accomplish? You certainly can't plow together and do ministry together because they don't serve your master. What will happen is like the Canaanites, they will turn your heart from the Lord eventually. I'm not saying immediately, but they will. And let me just give you a word about what I like to call missionary dating. Okay, can I just throw that out there for typically this is a girl thing, but guys can do it too. A missionary dating relationship, it's always an excuse. Well, listen, this guy, he's really cute. And I I know he's not saved, but he's a good guy. And listen, if we're dating and and he's going to come to youth group with me because we're dating and he's going to get saved through this. I know he is. I know he is. Okay, well, good for you. And when you're sinning behind closed doors and bringing your your boyfriend to church, then good good on you. I bet the Lord is really glorified in that, right? Listen, I know people, I know people who have gotten saved because they were dating someone who was when they were lost. Just because God can use sin to get glory doesn't make the sin right. Can I just say that for you? Romans 8 tells us that God can work all things together for his good. Just because God is powerful enough to get glory in any situation doesn't mean that it's good for you, doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't make it right. God wants your relationships to be pure and to glorify him and to be the most fulfillment possible for you. Can you do that? Can you glorify the Lord while disobeying him at the same time? I think the answer is implied. Okay. I'll quit beating that dead ox. Let's go. Let her be. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, not your flesh. Let the Holy Spirit lead you, not your flesh. At the end of Genesis 24 and verse 61, Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man, followed the servant. Who's the servant a picture of? Yes, very good, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> The servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The servant is the one that you need to trust to lead you to the person that you should date, the Holy Spirit. If you're seeking someone to date, then you are focused on the wrong thing. Remember, we saw that last week. If you're focusing on finding someone to be with, you're focused on the wrong thing, Christian. Focus on being the one that God wants you to be and then let the Spirit lead you when it comes to relationships, okay? We saw last week that the problem with following your heart is that our hearts are wicked and sinful, and if you'll follow just if you'll follow the Lord instead of your heart and trust the Spirit, He will guide you in all things, including relationships. We saw last week if you'll focus on being the one God wants you to be, He will lead you to someone else doing the same thing and man, you two will be a power couple together if you're both following the lord proverbs three five and six don't trust your heart. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If you sincerely trust the Lord and trust the Spirit with all aspects of your life, including your relationship with, a, with someone of the opposite sex, he will lead you to one that not only glorifies him, but will make you the best you you could be. That's what you want. I know that's what you want. I know high schoolers can be dumb and just horny sometimes, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, what you guys really want is a fulfilling relationship someday, right? Let's look at uh, Genesis 24, verse 64 again. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Think about it, guys. Isaac and Rebekah had never met before. They both followed and worshiped God and they chose to love each other because they believed the Lord was leading. See that? That's what you ought to do. That's what you ought to do. Always put God first, not second. If I didn't say that, let her see. Always put God first not second. You've got a triangle on the bottom of your sheet and I think the blanks are actually filled in so um, you, can, you can probably just skip ahead to the last one that has them all filled in. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so here's, I want to just work this little triangle with you guys. I didn't come up with this. This is a, as old as dirt but check this out. If you've got the guy on the one side and the girl on the other side so whichever one you are, hopefully you're not confused about that. I know a lot of people are. Guy on this side, girl on this side. If you're both focused on God, And following God. Check it out. When you move up towards the Lord, the distance between you and the person that you are in a relationship with gets smaller because you're both following the Lord and moving towards Him and so you're going to get closer to each other because you're focusing on God. Your relationship isn't focusing on each other. You're not putting them first instead of the Lord. You're not focusing on your carnal fleshly desires. You're focusing on God, what he wants for you, what he wants for your relationship. And as you grow closer to him, you grow closer to each other. But check it out. It works conversely as well. If you go the other way, off of the screen downward, and you're going away from God, guy, and you're going away from God, girl, guess what? You get farther away from each other as well. Now, you might be closer physically, but you're certainly not closer spiritually and emotionally. See that? If you focus on God and put Him first and grow towards Him, you will grow closer together. And for those of us who are married in this room, who would be the counselors, because I don't think we have any married students in here, we can attest to that. When we are following God and focusing on Him, both us and our wives, both the wives and their husbands, you grow closer to each other. But when you're ignoring God and you're not focusing on God, man, you tend to drift apart as a couple. they're, They're tied together. So if you'll strive to keep your focus on God and put him first in your life, you'll become the person that he wants you to be. And when you find someone else doing the same thing and you both put God above each other and seek to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, you'll actually grow closer to each other. That's preposterous. That doesn't make any sense. Well, I know. It's what the Bible says. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on His. And I'm going to place all my trust in Him, not in my heart, because His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. And I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit in my relationships. But when you fall away from God... You fall farther away from the person that you're dating. And if you're not dating someone who knows the Lord, and you do, you're automatically going away from God because you're following after your carnal desires. It's how it works. I was in high school. I did the same thing. When I had a good relationship, I was growing closer to God. When I had bad, carnal, fleshly relationships, I was growing farther away from God. It's how it works. For the Christian, the bonding agent in a relationship is God. If you put your girlfriend or your boyfriend above the Lord... Not only will the relationship suffer, but your relationship with God suffers because that is the definition of idolatry. God hates idolatry. Don't worship your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your husband for that matter someday. Don't worship them above God. That's idolatry. That relationship will not serve the Lord. It will only serve your flesh. So, I hope that story was meaningful to you tonight and I hope you can take those three relationship goals that come from scripture. They're not Kale's laws that you have to live by or else. They're just goals and advice based on biblical principles that will help you not only be the person God wants you to be, but have a better relationship with someone that he leads you to, if you'll trust him to lead you to that person. So take those three relationship goals and pray about them. If, man, if you are dating someone, can you both seek, both of you seek to apply these goals to your current relationship? Where, where are you failing? Where are you struggling in some? Where, where are you maybe being successful? Can you be more successful in some? Uh, in the next two weeks, actually the last week of the series, we're going to talk about practical purity. And if you're in a relationship with a boy or girl and you guys were struggling in certain areas, there are great ways and boundaries you can apply in your life to not only help you to be pure, but to help you follow the Lord better and to make your relationship stronger. Do you need to end a relationship that's sinful? I don't know, man. I'm not going to tell you to break up with somebody, but based on what the Word of God has spoken to you tonight, are you in a wrong relationship that you need to end? You have to ask yourself that. I'm not telling you. If you aren't in a relationship, do you need to quit searching for someone to date and shift your focus to who God wants you to be? Man, I know that's a struggle for some of you guys, and and I, and I don't know you personally, but I know high schoolers, I know teenagers. And I know it's a struggle when you're not in a relationship and the world tells you the cool thing and the right thing is to be in a relationship and you won't feel fulfilled or you won't feel like you have a purpose if you're not in one. I know that some of you guys just need to stop searching, quit seeking for someone to date and shift your focus to who God wants you to be. And if you'll simply focus on being all that he wants you to be and growing towards him, I'm telling you, eventually he'll lead you to someone doing the same thing. And it'll make sense and you'll date and it'll be great And Kate plus eight, I don't know, I was trying to rhyme some more things, but man, if you'll just follow the Lord and he leads you to someone who's also doing that, that'll be the most fulfilling relationship and the most God-pleasing relationship you could be in. If you'll just trust him and you'll just do what the Bible tells you. What do you, this is what I want to leave you with tonight. What do you need to do in light of what you've learned from God's word tonight? What has God shown you about whatever relationship you are or are not in? What do you need to do in light of what God has taught you from his word tonight. What do you need to change? What do you need to start seeking after? To not only make you who God wants you to be, but to make you be the one for somebody else someday. We need to stop thinking about finding the one and and focusing on becoming the one for somebody else. We need to quit being so selfish and focus on becoming the one that God wants us to be that will help to complete somebody else someday. Let's pray. God, I come to you tonight, and I thank you for your word, Lord. That story is something that you taught me many moons ago, and that has just—it it helped me find my wife, and it, and it helped me to understand what it means to be married and what it means to love. And, and God, I just pray that—I uh, just pray that these kids in here, Lord, that I—I I, I know that this series is on a touchy subject. I know it's on a subject we can make light of to—to to try and, you know have some comic relief because of the seriousness and the awkwardness of the subject. But Lord, I just pray that we would take it seriously. We would consider what your word has to teach us and consider if we trust you enough to trust you with our relationships and to let the Holy Spirit, the servant, lead us to our Rebecca or to our Isaac. Father, help us to become the ones that you want us to be for somebody else and for you. Those are the relationship goals that we have. And so, Father, I pray that whatever you showed us tonight, that you would help us to enact those things in our life tonight. If someone in here isn't saved and doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they would just cry out to you tonight and ask you to forgive them of, of their sins. Your word says it's simple. All they have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as the Lord of their life, that they understand that they're a sinner separated from you and and they want you to come into their life, and they know that you died on the cross for them and rose again to pay for their sin, and if, and if they'll just simply cry out and ask you to save them, your word says on the authority of the Bible that you will do so. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that nobody would leave here tonight who doesn't know you as their Savior. I pray they wouldn't leave without finding out more about that and how they can know for certainty when their life ends someday that they can spend eternity in heaven with you. I love you, Lord, and and I just pray that you would teach us more about love because you are love and teach us how to love because you first loved us. It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.